Well, good morning, Grace. It is so wonderful to see your beautiful faces in the house of God this morning. And I just want to add one more announcement. I want to remind you that next Sunday we are having a parent huddle that will be led by uh, Dr. Tim Hogan. He is a PhD psychologist who will be helping us and giving us some tools to help our young people who are struggling with stress and anxiety. And I don't know about you, but I see a lot of young people struggling with anxiety, and he's going to help us. Not many people know adolescents and young people like Dr. Tim. So I really want to encourage you to come. Registration closes tomorrow. It is $10. Lunch is going to be provided, and there's also going to be child care. So uh, sign up for that is next Sunday. We are going to continue our series on Romans this morning. We are in Romans chapter 3. Are you guys loving our sermon series on Romans so far? Hasn't it been amazing? I want to encourage you to turn to page 14 in your journal if you have your journal with you. If not, you can grab the Bible under your seat, and we will be on page 940 in the Bible under the seat. I'm going to give you just a minute to grab your reader. God has always longed to be with man. In fact, God has always longed to be with you. Do you believe that? Do you know and believe that God desires to be with you? He desires you. And I want you to actually say it with me because something happens when we declare truth. It's hard to believe the lie when we declare truth. So say this with me. Say, God desires to be with me. God desires to be with me. And the book of Romans tells the story of how God fulfilled his desire to be with man, to be with you. Romans is a challenging book, but it is a glorious one. And as a teaching team, our prayer is really that you as the people of God, that all of us would understand at both a head level and a heart level the great love of God. That he would put together such a costly rescue plan for humanity. Both are important, head knowledge and heart knowledge. I want us to understand what salvation means. What exactly are we being saved from? And I want us to know what is the righteousness of God and what does propitiation mean? Paul said in another one of his letters to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, 15, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles 
the word of truth. So let's be people who strive to correctly handle the word of truth. But equally important, or possibly even more so, I want us to know at a heart level, at an experiential level, the great love of God. He loves you, and that is why the book of Romans even exists. In my humble opinion, there is no more important chapter in the Bible than Romans chapter 3. It is the heart of the gospel. Madeline is going to go ahead and come up, and she is going to read for us this morning. So I would like to invite everyone to stand as she reads our passage. I'm reading from Romans 3, 1 through 26. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithful, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. And all have turned aside together. They have become worthless. <clears throat> no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are in Christ. I'm sorry justified. I'm sorry, I just lost my place. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood and to receive and to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen.
So Lord, we bless you this morning. We bless you and honor you. We declare there is no one like you, God. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. We thank you for for your word that instructs us. We thank you for your spirit who helps us, teaches us, and encourages us. We thank you, God, that your presence is here with us this morning. I feel the manifest presence of God here with us this morning, and we thank you, Lord. And I pray that you would instruct us from Romans chapter 3. I pray for everyone in this room that you would speak to them personally, that no one would leave here without receiving a touch from you. You are the living God. It is a pleasure and a delight to be in your house, to be in your presence this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been talking to someone and they say, I have good news and bad news. Do you want the bad news first or the good news? Most of us would say, I want the bad news first and then the good. This morning is one of those bad news, good news scenarios. But before we get to the bad news and good news of Romans chapter 3, I just want to start off by giving a little bit of a recap of Romans chapters 1 and 2 in case any of you have missed uh, the last couple of weeks. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the believers in Rome to really educate them on the basics of salvation and Christianity. Romans is sort of Christianity 101, if you will. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul starts off by telling the reader that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And as I've been studying the book of Romans, this word was highlighted to me. The Greek word here for servant is doulos. And it literally means a bond servant. A bond servant, God bless you, is a slave who becomes a free man, yet still chooses to give up his or her personal rights of freedom to stay and serve the master. It's a voluntary decision that the person makes for the rest of his or her life. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, I'm a free man, but I have voluntarily chosen to become a servant of Christ for the rest of my life. This is who I am. And the reason that I have chosen to become a bondservant of Christ is because of the gospel, because of the good news of what Jesus has done. My master, Jesus, has been so good to me that I can't imagine a life without him leading it. Amen? Paul goes on in the letter, as Pastor Doug taught us a couple of weeks ago, to talk about the unrighteousness of mankind, the dishonor, lust, homosexuality, envy, strife, deceit, gossip, slander, pride, and hatred towards God. 
The list goes on and on. And he said that because of this unrighteousness, the wrath of God is being poured out on all who practice such things, both the Jew and the Gentile. And in his letter to the Roman believers, Paul frequently distinguishes between Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. Remember that in the Old Testament, God chose Abraham to be the father of a nation. That nation grew very large and ended up enslaved to the Egyptians. Moses was then called by God to lead the people out of slavery, and eventually God gave the law to the Jewish people through Moses. The intent was that the Jews would represent God and display his glory in the earth by their obedience to the law, which would then result in God's blessing on them. But what was the problem? It never worked. It never worked because it couldn't work. And that is the perpetual story of the Old Testament is that man could never live up to the righteous requirements of the law. Why? Because of the sin nature that exists in every human being. And that is where we pick up in Romans chapter 3. Are you with me? Stay with me here because we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. And like I said, in my opinion, there is no more important chapter in the Bible than Romans chapter 3. So let's dig right in. We're just going to make our way through this chapter and learn and glean the truths that God has for us this morning. Verse 1. Paul says, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Paul starts off by asking a question. He says, what advantage is there in being Jewish, in being circumcised? Remember, circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with Abraham. And then Paul goes on to answer his own question by saying, it's true. The Jews are special. They are the special people group that God chose to use to give his words through. He spoke to mankind through the Jewish people. And the gospel has come to mankind through the Jewish nation because Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. But Paul goes on to say that while it's true that the Jews are God's special people, at the end of the day, all people, both Jews and Gentiles alike, are under sin. Let's look at verse 9, which says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Remember, Paul was a Jew. Before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. So Paul knew the law very well. 
He said, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks alike, are under sin. He then goes on to quote several Old Testament passages explaining in somewhat graphic language that all mankind is separated from God. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. We've all turned away and become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Our throats are open grave. We practice deceit. Our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. We shed blood. We have no reverence for God. We have no fear of God. This is all mankind right here, including us, before we knew Christ. Remember what Pastor Doug said? This isn't just for the people out there. This is for us too. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who once said that to truly understand the gospel, you have to understand the bad news before you can understand the good news. Amen? Here's the bad news. Before we knew Christ, we were sinners with a capital S. Every human being has been created in the image of God. Every human being, even unbelievers, bear the image of God. But when sin entered the world in the garden, our very nature became corrupted by its power. And now the whole world is a slave to sin. I want to look at a passage from Galatians 3, verses 22, where Paul writes and he says, But the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Do you understand that apart from Christ, sin has power? In fact, man is powerless under the influence of sin apart from the indwelling work of Holy Spirit. Man is powerless under the influence of sin apart from the indwelling work of Holy Spirit. And that is why the world is in constant chaos because all mankind is a slave to sin. That's a phrase that we're going to see in subsequent chapters as we study the book of Romans. Sin is literally our master. The word of God says. And because of this sin nature, the Mosaic law was powerless to make us righteous. Let's look at verse 20, which says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what was the purpose of the law? Did the Trinity, that is the Father, Son, and Spirit, did they have a conference after the fall of man and say, let's try to give them a law. Let's see if they can obey it and become righteous like us. That's our plan A. But if it doesn't work, then we'll send Jesus. Of course not. Of course not. The law wasn't given to prove to God that we couldn't keep it. The law was given to prove to us 
that we couldn't keep it. The law was given to show us that we are hopelessly lost and we need a divine solution. Earlier I said that my prayer is that you would know the love of God more deeply by understanding the costly rescue plan that God has put in place for humanity. And the law has a role. The Old Testament fits because it shows us that we need a savior. That we can't keep the rules. We can't become righteous through self-effort or obeying the law. So if we can't keep the law, what is God's rescue plan? Well, I'm so glad that you asked because the next six verses of Romans are going to teach us. And they are the good news of our bad news, good news scenario this morning. And in fact, in my opinion, they are Holy Spirit's magnum opus, if you will. They, these verses truly are the masterpiece of God. I want to start with verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The target for all mankind is the glory of God. God's glory is difficult to define, but his glory is the sum total of all of his attributes. It's his greatness, his beauty, his splendor, majesty, and perfection. The glory of God is his absolute separateness and supremacy. I want you to think of an archer shooting a bow and arrow. And the bullseye is the glory of God. No one can shoot the arrow in the bullseye perfectly every time because of the sin nature that we inherited from Adam. And sin literally means to miss the mark as an archery. This caused us to miss the mark, if you will, of God's holy and righteous perfection which separated us. From God. And this poses a problem because I said at the beginning, God desires to be with man. But a holy God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. God longs to be with us, but we were hopelessly and eternally separated from Him under the power and control of sin. So, what can be done? Certainly, the law had no power, as I've already said, to make us righteous. So what was God to do? Let's look at the rest of the five verses. Let's look at verses 21 and 22. But now, the righteousness of God had been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. This righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And verses 24 and 25. 
We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It sounds good, but what does it mean? What does it mean? I want to take just a few minutes and define some of these words for us this morning so that we can truly be one who handles the word of God correctly. Amen? Let's look at the word righteous. What do we mean when we use the word righteous? This is the idea that now in Christ we are in right standing with God because... The righteousness of Christ, that is his sinless perfection of the only one who could actually keep the law, has been imparted to us if we believe. Grace. This is a word we use very liberally. Our church is called Grace Community Church. But what does it mean? Grace means the unmerited favor of God or God's benevolence towards the undeserving. It's a gift that cannot be earned and it cannot be lost. I said a couple of weeks ago that we were going to learn what the word propitiation means. So here we are. Propitiation, what does it mean? Biblically speaking, the word propitiation means to turn God's wrath away from guilty sinners by enduring the wrath himself. See, God is just, and the sin had to be paid for. And the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. So in other words, someone had to die because of the unrighteousness of mankind. Jesus was our propitiation. He took the full brunt of God's wrath upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't you just love the word propitiation? Isn't it a marvelous word? Amen. How about the word faith? That's another word that we use a lot. What does it mean? Faith is the confident trust in something or someone that causes us to respond in action. Right now, you have faith that the chair you're sitting in is going to hold you up. If you didn't, you probably wouldn't be sitting in it. And we are saved by faith, not good works. Reading our Bible, coming to church, being baptized, these are all good practices. They're absolutely things that we should do, but they don't save us. Faith in Jesus Christ saves us. So I want to just combine all of these words, and I want to paraphrase for you. This is my paraphrase, what these six verses say to us. 
And hopefully it's going to help us. We are seen as righteous or morally perfect in God's eyes, apart from good works or self-effort, when we place our confident trust in Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous by God, free from the penalty of sin, and embraced as his child because of the unmerited favor of God. This is possible because although we deserved the wrath of God, we have been saved from it because Jesus took the full brunt of God's wrath upon himself at the cross. Hallelujah. The gospel saved my life, literally speaking. Those of you who know me well know that I am prone to exaggeration, but in this case, I am not exaggerating. I've shared my story many times, but as a child, I grew up in the church. I believed in Jesus, but at age 22, in my first year of medical school, I had a very serious crisis of faith. I was in Detroit in medical school. My boyfriend, who's now my husband, I believe he's sitting up there. He's still my boyfriend. Amen. That's right. Amen. I love that man. He was still at Purdue, and he had gotten involved in a Bible study with his... He was a wrestler at Purdue, and he got involved in a Bible study there. And every time that we would talk on the phone, it was Jesus this, Jesus this, Jesus that. And I was like, what is going on with this guy? He is becoming an absolute Jesus freak. (laughs) But his zeal for God offended me. It offended me because it confronted my spiritual apathy. And this profound change in him caused me to to ask the most important question in all of life, which is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And remember, at the time, I was in medical school, and I was being taught that the reason I had fluid in my inner ear was because I had evolved from a fish. And I remember one day, as my anatomy professor was telling me this, telling the whole class this, and I thought to myself, you know, you may have evolved from a fish, but I can guarantee you absolutely that I did not. I am absolutely way too complex of a a person to have ever evolved from a fish. But academia was king for me, and at that time, as I began to contemplate the reality of Jesus, I actually came to the conclusion that there was no God. That Jesus may have existed as a person, but that he wasn't God, and that this whole religion thing is just something we make up. It's man-made to help us cope with the challenges of life. But as they say, ideas have consequences. And the idea 
that there is no God left me in a state of utter despondency and despair because apart from God, I had no answers to the big questions in life like how did I get here? What is my purpose for being here? And where am I going after death? And I actually began to contemplate suicide. I was in that much despair. In Pastor Doug's words, remember what he said? When God is removed, chaos ensues. And when I removed God from the equation of life, chaos started to stir in my soul. And I figured I might as well end it now because apart from God, life is meaningless. But God sent me a a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And the author spoke to my intellect, and after reading the book, I was convinced that Jesus is who he claims to be, both Lord and Savior. The gospel of Jesus Christ saved me from premature death and despair and has filled my life with purpose and hope instead. There is not time for me to sit here and tell you how the gospel has changed my life over the last 30 years. It has changed my marriage. It has changed the way I parent my children. It has changed the aspirations that I have for my life and for my career. It has saved me from self-destruction. And I hope that you're seeing a pattern here. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Doug shared how the gospel saved his marriage, how his marriage was in a very bad place, and the gospel saved his marriage. And last week, Pastor Kevin shared with us that his life, he was strung out on alcohol and pills, and the gospel saved his life. And now I am standing here telling you that I was suicidal, but the gospel saved my life. Jesus is real, and the gospel changes lives. So so what about you? In a room this size, and for those watching online, I want to welcome those watching online, by by the way. I'm sure that there are some who have never put their faith in Jesus. Today, God extends the invitation of his favor. None of us knows what the future holds, so there is no reason to wait. I implore you to respond to the gospel message today. Not only so you can escape the wrath of God, but also that you can enjoy a life of intimacy with God, having meaning and purpose. How about those who have already responded to the gospel message? I hope this morning that God has breathed fresh passion in you for the simplicity of the gospel. 
But I also have a question for you. What are you doing with the indescribable gift that has been given? The gift of being saved from both the power and penalty of sin and being reconciled to God instead. Because as as Pastor Kevin said last week, one day we will stand before God and give an account of our lives. Paul called himself a bondservant of Christ. A bondservant, let me remind you, is a slave who becomes a free man, yet still chooses to give up his personal rights of freedom to stay and serve the master. It's a voluntary decision. Nobody forces one to make the decision. It's voluntary. It's a decision that we make for the rest of our lives. We were once slaves. We were all slaves to sin. But because we have been justified, we have been declared righteous by God, Holy Spirit now lives inside of us and has freed us from the power of sin and the power of self. Now we are free men and women, and the invitation for every believer is this. Will we give up our personal rights to pursue our own agenda in life and make the voluntary decision to become a bondservant of Christ like Paul? If you are a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, or maybe you're a student and you have a close friend. What would you do to rescue them from certain death? What would you do to rescue your own child from death? Would you die in their place? Would you take the bullet for them? I know for my own children, I would. God did. God took the bullet for you. So that his original desire, which was simply to be with you, is secure for all eternity. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you took the bullet for us. We thank you for the gospel message that we are free from the eternal penalty of sin. Help us to be wise stewards of the life that you've given us. And I pray this morning for a blessing on your people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And I pray it and seal it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a team of intercessors that pray for you every morning before service. And today they heard that someone needs prayer because they are walking with a limp. 
and there's a lady who needs a dress for an upcoming event or a work, uh, a work event, and there is a right heel in need of healing. If you have any spiritual, emotional, or physical need, we have our prayer team down here this morning that would love to pray for you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week. Pastor Doug will be back teaching us on Romans chapter 4.